0: Chapter 10, Part 3 of The Story of My Life and Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy. The Story of My Life and Work by Booker T. Washington. Chapter 10. The Speech at the Opening of the Cotton States Exposition, Part 3. When the section of jurors on education met for organization, Mr. Thomas Nelson Page, the Southern author, who was a member of the board, made a motion that I be made secretary of the section on education. This motion was carried without a dissenting vote. Nearly half of the board of jurors were Southern men. We were quite intimately associated together for a month. And during this time, our association was most pleasant and cordial in every respect. In performing my duty in connection with the inspection of the exhibits from the various white institutions, in each instance, I was treated with the greatest respect. At the close of our labors, a large photograph of the group of jurors was taken. We parted from each other with the greatest regret in making up their awards the board of jurors awarded but three gold medals to institutions of learning the tuskegee school received one of the three as i was a member of the board i insisted that tuskegee should not be permitted to compete for a medal but i was overruled in this and the medal given regardless of my protest the exhibit which the tuskegee normal and industrial institute made except that from the hampton institute was the largest and most comprehensive in the negro building i will let the newspaper war correspondent who was at that time in atlanta as a representative of the new york world relate the impression my speech seemed to make he wrote the following for the world mrs thompson head of the woman's department had scarcely taken her seat when all eyes were turned on a tall Tawny negro sitting in the front row on the platform. It was Professor Booker T. Washington, president of the Tuskegee, Alabama Normal and Industrial Institute, who must rank from this time forth as the foremost man of his race in America. Gilmore's band played the Star Spangled Banner, and the audience cheered. The tune was changed to Dixie, and the audience roared with shrill, again the music changed to yankee doodle and the clamour lessened all this time the eyes of thousands looked straight at the negro orator a strange thing was to happen a black man was to speak for his people with none to interrupt him as professor washington strode toward the edge of the stage the low descending sun shot fiery rays through the window into his face A great shout greeted him. He turned his head to avoid the blinding light and moved about the platform for relief. Then he turned his powerful countenance to the sun without a blink of the eyelids and began to talk. There was a remarkable figure, tall, bony, straight as a Sioux chief, high forehead, straight nose, heavy jaws, and strong, determined mouth. Big white teeth, piercing eyes, and a determined manner. The sinews stood out on his bronzed neck, and his muscular right arm swung high in the air, with a lead pencil grasped in the clenched brown fist. His big feet were planted squarely, with the heels together and the toes turned out. His voice rang out clear and true, and he paused impressively as he made each point within ten minutes the multitude was in an uproar of enthusiasm handkerchiefs waved canes flourished hats tossed in the air the fairest women in georgia stood up and cheered it was as if the orator had bewitched them and when he held his dusky hand high above his head with his fingers stretched wide apart, and said to the white people of the South, on behalf of his race, In all things that are purely social we can be as separate as fingers, yet one as the hand in all things essential to social progress. The great wave of sound dashed itself against the walls, and the whole audience was on its feet in a delirium of applause. And I thought at that moment of the night when Henry Grady stood among the curling wreaths of tobacco smoke in Delmonico's banquet hall and said, I am a cavalier among roundheads. I have heard the great orators of many countries, but not even Gladstone himself could have pleaded a cause with more consummate power than this angular negro standing in a nimbus of sunshine. Surrounded by the man who once fought to keep his race in bondage. The roar might swell ever so high, but the expression on his face never changed. A ragged ebony giant, squatted on the floor in one of the aisles, watched the orator with burning eyes and tremulous face until the supreme outburst of applause came. Then the tears ran down his face. Most of the negroes in the audience were crying, perhaps without knowing just why. At the close of the speech, Governor Bullock rushed across the platform and seized the orator's hand. Another shout greeted this demonstration, and for a few moments the two men stood facing each other, hand in hand. The papers all over the United States the next day after I spoke and for months afterwards were filled with the most complimentary accounts of and comments upon this speech. I quote a letter written by the Honorable Clark Howell to the New York World, and an editorial from the Boston Transcript, also two articles from colored papers, as fair samples of the expressions that were made throughout the country. The letter of Mr. Howell was as follows atlanta georgia september nineteenth to the editor of the world i do not exaggerate when i say that professor booker t washington's address yesterday was one of the most notable speeches both as to the character and the warmth of its reception ever delivered to a southern audience it was an epoch-making talk and marks distinctly a turning point in the progress of the negro race its effect in bringing about a perfect understanding between whites and blacks of the south will be immediate the address was a revelation it was the first time that a negro orator had appeared on a similar occasion before a southern audience the propriety of inviting a representative of the negro race to participate in the opening exercises was fully discussed a month ago when the opening program was being arranged Some opposition was manifested on account of the fear that public sentiment was not prepared for such an advanced step. The invitation, however, was extended by a vote of the board of directors, and the cordial greetings which the audience gave Washington's address shows that the board made no mistake. There was not a line in the address which would have been changed by the most sensitive of those who thought the invitation to be imprudent the whole speech is a platform on which the whites and the blacks can stand with full justice to each race the speech is a full vindication from the mouth of a representative negro of the doctrine so eloquently advanced by grady and those who have agreed with him that it is to the south that the negro must turn for his best friend and that his welfare is so closely identified with the progress of the white people of the south that each race is mutually dependent upon the other, and that the so-called race problem must be solved in the development of the natural relations growing out of the association between the whites and blacks of the south. The question of social equality is eliminated as a factor in the development of the problem, and the situation is aptly expressed by Washington in the statement that, in all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as fingers, yet one as the hand in all things essential to mutual progress. The speech will do good, and the unanimous approval with which it has been received demonstrates the fact that it has already done good. Clark Howell, Editor of the Constitution the boston transcripts editorial was as follows the speech of mr washington at the atlanta exposition this week seems to have dwarfed all the other proceedings and the exhibition itself the crowd that listened to it was carried away with enthusiasm and the sensation it has caused in the press has rarely been equalled the southern papers themselves pronounce it epoch-making and call it the beginning of the end of the war between the races all this is no great surprise to those who have kept themselves informed upon the development of industrial and other education for negroes in the negro populated districts of the country intelligent and sympathetic observers have long been aware that it was through the silent and serious and steady work of the school for the negroes that the solution of the race problem was coming and not through the passions of politics stirred and kept hot by tricky professional party managers for use in presidential elections mr washington is no different from what he has been he is saying no more than he and his backers have been saying for years but he is a great revelation to those who have hitherto regarded the negro question as one simply calling for slang-wanging partisan and sectional abuse instead of philosophy patience and study the editor of the texas freeman wrote as follows the address made by booker t washington principal of the tuskegee normal and industrial institute at the formal opening of the cotton states and international exposition stamps him as a most worthy representative of a large part of the country's citizenship without resort to hyperbolic exaggeration it is but simple justice to call the address great it was great great in that it exhibited the speaker's qualities of head and heart great that he could and did discriminatingly recognize conditions as they affected his people and greater still in the absolute modesty self-respect and dignity with which he presented a platform upon which clark howell of the atlanta constitution says both races black and white can stand with full justice to each other no better selection among the whole number of the races most prominent men could have been made than professor washington the richmond planet said the speech of professor booker t washington at the opening of the atlanta exposition was a magnificent effort and places him in the forefront of the representatives of our race in this country calm dispassionate logical winning it captivated the vast assemblage who heard it and caused a re-echoing sound of approval on the part of those who caught the rounded sentences and rhetorical periods as they were flashed over the wires reserved in his manner earnest in the delivery realizing fully the heavy responsibility resting upon him he performed that duty with an ease that was magnetic and grace that was divine as soon as i had finished my address the first thing that i remember is that governor bullock rushed across the stage and took me by the hand others sitting on the platform did the same thing following my address came a brilliant and eloquent speech from judge emery spear at the close Of his address, the President of the United States, Honorable Grover Cleveland, touched a button in Washington which started the machinery, and the exposition was declared open. By the time the exercises in the auditorium were finished, it was quite late in the afternoon and, in fact, dark. A large number of people, both northern and southern, together with numbers of colored people, congratulated me most heartily on my address. In fact, I found it quite difficult to get out of the building or away from the exposition grounds. As soon as possible, I left the exposition and went to my boarding place. After the opening exercises, a reception was tendered me by some of the colored citizens of Atlanta. I did not in any large measure appreciate the excitement and deep impression that my address seemed to create until the next morning about 10 o'clock when i went to the city on some errand as soon as i entered the business portion of atlanta i was surprised to find myself pointed out and i was very soon surrounded by a crowd of people who were bent on shaking my hand and congratulating me in fact this was kept up on every street where i went until i found it impossible to move with any degree of comfort about the streets and so i returned to my boarding-place in a few hours i began receiving telegrams and letters from all parts of the country one thing i always thought was rather strange in connection with this address and that is that no officer connected with the exposition ever asked me what ground i was going to cover in my speech or even suggested that i should be careful not to say anything which would harm the relations between the races and thus crippled the success of the exposition. It would, of course, have been very easy for me to have uttered a single sentence which would have thrown a wet blanket over the prospects of the exposition, and especially the harmonious relations of the races. The next morning I took the train for Tuskegee. At the depot in Atlanta and at every station between Atlanta and Tuskegee, I found a crowd of people anxious to shake hands with me and who were pointed out to me as making remarks about my address. Some days after I returned to Tuskegee, I sent the President of the United States, Honorable Grover Cleveland, a copy of the address I delivered at Atlanta, and was very much surprised as well as gratified to receive from him a letter, which I here insert. Gray Gables, Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts, October 6, 1895 booker t washington esq my dear sir i thank you for sending me a copy of your address delivered at the atlanta exposition i thank you with much enthusiasm for making the address i have read it with intense interest and i think the exposition would be fully justified if it did not do more than furnish the opportunity for its delivery Your words cannot fail to delight and encourage all who wish well for your race. And if our colored fellow citizens do not from your utterance gather new hope and form new determinations to gain every valuable advantage offered them by their citizenship, it will be strange indeed. Yours very truly, Grover Cleveland. All of it was written with his own hand. From that time until the present, Mr. Cleveland has taken the deepest interest in Tuskegee and has been among my warmest and most helpful friends. After I returned to Tuskegee, I continued to be deluged with letters of congratulation and endorsement of my position. I received all kinds of propositions from lecture bureaus, editors of magazines and papers to take their lecture platform and write articles. One lecture bureau went as far as to offer me fifty thousand dollars or two hundred dollars a night if i would place my services at its disposition for a given period of time to all these communications i replied that my life work was at tuskegee and that wherever i should speak it must be in the interests of my race and the institution at tuskegee and that i could not accept any engagements that would seem to place a mere commercial value on my addresses From that time until the present, I have continued to receive liberal offers from lecture bureaus for my services. Only a few weeks ago, the following letter came to me, but I have continued to refuse, as I expect to do in the future, to become a professional lecturer at any price. Central Lyceum Bureau, Chicago, Illinois, November 29, 1897 Booker T. Washington, Tuskegee, Alabama my dear sir, if you will give us exclusive control of your lecture business for next summer and winter, season of 1898-99, to I am confident I can make you more money than you have made this season on the platform. Would you consider an offer of, say, $10,000 and all expenses for 100 nights? Please let me hear from you and oblige. Yours very truly, Fred Pelham soon after receiving the letter quoted above i received a proposition from a lecture bureau in boston offering me at the rate of two hundred dollars per night for my lectures for as long a time as i would give them my services at this rate but i declined although i refused to become a professional lecturer for personal gain i did not keep silent but continued to work and speak in behalf of tuskegee In the fall of 1895, I continued addressing large audiences in the states of Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, and in the western states. During my trip to the west, I addressed the Hamilton Club and was its guest while in the city of Chicago. The Hamilton Club is one of the largest and most influential political organizations of republican faith in the west. While in Chicago for the purpose of addressing this club, I was invited by Dr Hopper the president of the University of Chicago to deliver an address before the students of the university which I did and was treated with great consideration and kindness by all of the officers of the university The end of chapter 10 part 3